I'm not sure how many of you have ever um, coached a children's soccer or basketball team. It can be very challenging, to say the least, right? If, if you've ever done it. When my kids were four-year-old and six-years-old, um, I coached them in one of our upward leagues, which I would encourage you as grandparents or parents, put them in those programs. They are wonderful wonderful programs for your kids and for adults as well. But I quickly learned, as it was a soccer league that we were in, that their attention span on the soccer field was very fleeting. I mean, from seeing the admiring fans that they had, to the gophers that were digging in the ground, to the daisies that were in the wind, you know, whatever it may be. In fact, it's been described, and I would follow this very closely, or I would agree with this, it's been described as uh, like herding cats, right? That's not going to happen very easily. That, that's a little bit what it's like to try and coach a youth soccer team. And so what I would do from time to time, and I learned this little trick, I would take a whistle. And during our practice, or even during our game sometime, I would blow the whistle, and as I'd blow it, the kids would kind of wake up, and I would say, team, where's the goal? And I'd expect them to point at the goal. And it was hilarious to see which way they point, because all of a sudden I was realizing two kids are right beside each other, and they're pointing like this. Like, I don't know where the goal is. That's four-year-olds, that's six-year-olds. Well... As 40-year-olds, 60-year-olds, 90-year-olds, sometimes we need to do the same thing in church. Because in church, sometimes we lose the goal as well. And so today, that's a little bit of what I'm doing. Actually, in this whole next series, that's a little bit of what we'll be doing. We're going to be saying, okay, church, where's the goal? A few years ago, we developed a mission statement. And that mission statement has helped us keep on that path to the right goal. And many of you know that. Many of you memorized it. In fact, if you know it, would you say it with me? Helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. Excellent. Actually, we're going to put that up on the screen. Thank you. If you don't know it, or even if you do now, let's just all read this together, right? Would you read this with me? Helping people take their next step in knowing Jesus and making him known. That's the goal. That's what we try and do around here at First Baptist Church. That's what we're about. And many of you know that pretty well. Well, what we didn't talk about or haven't talked about a lot is at that same time, we also developed some uh, of our core beliefs and our core values that we operate by here at First Baptist. They, they're, they're put in place to help us stay on track. And so, as Pastor Scott said, we'd really encourage you, if you have not been, to go to the new members class. Uh, Pastor Mike teaches that this afternoon, 1230 to 3. It'll do a good job of kind of explaining a little bit more about those. Or you can go onto our website if you're not familiar with those core beliefs or those core values. Um, but while many of us know the mission statement... And uh, every week, if you're around here, you hear us teach and share about those core values, uh, or excuse me, those core beliefs. I would venture to say that most of us here probably don't know our core values at First Baptist. Unless, of course, there were some huge, bold, big blocks behind me that were written on, right? That's why those are there. Those are there over the next few months so that you can look at them, so that you can zero in on them, so that you can look and say, oh, yes, one of those values, we value excellence and marriage and discipleship and worship and prayer and 
today people. All people. In fact, on your outline, on the back of it, you have each of these words as it's written up in, uh, by our values on our website, in our new members book, and um, just for your knowledge. And what I want you to do, if you would, um, would you read just the underlined words? In fact, it may be easier for you to do it on, the, on this sheet or up here on the screen, but let's read all those underlined words together, okay? Follow me. Let's read them together. We value biblical authority. We value prayer. We value worship. We value fellowship. We value discipleship. We value ministry. We value evangelism. We value marriage. We value excellence. We value all people. All people. Um, That description about valuing all people, in fact, I want to read that to you. It's at the bottom of the sheet. It's also up here on the outline or on the PowerPoint as well. But it says, we value people of every nationality and at every stage of life, from conception to natural death, seeking to show the love of Christ in every possible way. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Actually, we started this series a couple of weeks ago, but we knew we couldn't put the, the blocks up because of his little feet were here. But we started it a couple of weeks ago when the orphaned and some of the rescued children were here with his little feet. But today we are going to really focus more on that phrase, from conception to natural death. Every um, Sunday, uh, let me say it this way, the Sundays before and after January 22nd, are often designated as Sanctity of Life Sunday. President Ronald Reagan put that into place in the 1980s of designating Sanctity of Life Sundays, and he did it on the one that was closest to January 22nd. We say that we do it on either side of that. That's why today we are going to be talking about the Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so today I've invited Nikki Lowry to come. She is the Executive Director of the Pregnancy Help Center. So Nikki, why don't you make your way up here right now. Nikki um, served on our staff here at First Baptist for 13 years and uh, did a wonderful, wonderful job of working with our junior high ministry, working with our women's ministry as well. Uh, this is Nikki's home church. Um, she was raised much of her life, um, youth and um, uh, children's uh, in this area in college and then obviously for the past 15 years. Um, married to Stephen. Is Stephen here at this service? 930. 930 service. He'll be here and their beautiful daughter May as well um, in our school. So get to interact with Nikki still very often. Um, but Nikki is the new new executive director of the Pregnancy Help Center. And so I asked her to share a little bit about what she does and how we as a church can partner with her and how God is speaking to us on the subject today. So why don't you uh, say welcome to Nikki. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. Good to be here. Uh, It's an honor to be speaking in my home church about a a topic and a subject um, that is so important and so near and dear to my heart. Um, As Pastor Brad said, I'm the new director at the Pregnancy Help Center, and the Pregnancy Help Center is a place where we minister to women and their families who are facing unplanned and crisis pregnancies. And it is our goal to encourage and equip these families to choose life. This past week has been a week of reflection that actually has been a week of somber reflection. This past Wednesday was the 41st anniversary of Roe versus Wade, a case from which the Supreme Court's, uh, Courts legalized abortion in this nation. But 
it not only has been a week of reflection, but a week of education and action. And it's been amazing because pulpits have been opened and the biblical truth of life, that life is precious and sacred, has been preached, even though it is against our culture in America. It has been a week of action. Just yesterday, tens of thousands of people marched in San Francisco on this very subject, that life is precious and that it needs to be protected. It has been a week of education through Christian radio. I don't know if you have listened to Focus on the Family and other radio stations, but airing segments of the original Roe versus Wade case, audio tapes, um, speaking of um, where we as a nation and the advancement of medicine at that time, which was the foundation of the passing of this case, now from where we're at, um, it is generally accepted that life begins at conception. It wasn't so in 1973, which is a major part of why this case was passed and making abortion legal. Because of what happened 41 years ago, the CDC reports that more than 54 million children have been aborted since that time. That's more than a million children a year. That I believe... That as believers, it is our responsibility to act. The sanctity of human life Sunday, this whole week, is a call to action to the church to do what I believe to do is three things. To remember, to pray for restoration, and to respond. We are to remember the lives lost. 54 million since 1973. We are to remember what the Bible has to say about life, that we are all created in the image of God, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God has plans for every single life, even before we live them, that life is sacred. But the Lord is sovereign, and in his goodness, he offers restoration and healing. May we pray for the healing of this nation, beginning with the end of abortion. May we pray for the restoration between God and his people, found through the redemption of Jesus Christ for those who have already chosen abortion. They need healing. It's a spiritual matter. And may we respond. Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, this whole week, is an emphasis um, It's so important to respond to this call and actually do what we are called to do in Proverbs 31.8, which says, speak out for those who cannot speak for themselves. May we respond above all with the love of Jesus Christ. We are not called to judge or condemn, but to love. Because no child is a mistake or an accident, but a planned creation of God. The Pregnancy Help Center is the only one of its kind in this city where there are five abortion clinics. But we are not discouraged or dismayed by this ratio. Instead, we are emboldened by the Lord to serve, to minister, to act, and to love. 
Actually, this is a very exciting time at the Pregnancy Help Center. We are starting a new chapter of ministry. It has been a long-term goal of the center to be a medical clinic. Um, Being a medical clinic would um, open up the doors to more clients coming in. Um, We'll be able to offer more services. And above all, all of that to say, we're able to minister and spread the life, the hope and the life that Christ gives to more and more people throughout our community. And the exciting part is that through much prayer and research and reaching out into our community, it is no longer just a long-term goal, but a reality. The Pregnancy Help Center has been able to purchase a beautiful RV, which we are in the process of raising funds to convert to become a mobile medical unit, which is very exciting because this mobile medical unit will be a strategic tool used by the Pregnancy Help Center to make an impact in this community for life. We'll be able to do sonogram imaging, and studies show that 78% of women who see their unborn babies through sonogram images choose the life of that child. They choose not to abort. Do you see what can happen in this community? It's really exciting. We'll be able to, by California state law, park in the street, across the street from any abortion clinic, offer free services, being able to minister and to counselor directly to people on the street. We'll be able to park near college campuses, which our main demographic are are, uh, teens all the way from actually as young as 12 to 24 years old. We'll be able to go directly into the neighborhoods that have the greatest needs. It's really exciting. And also studies show that when medical units are used strategically and effectively, it can they can uh, cut the revenue of an abortion clinic by 30%, and that's the magic number that they'll close their doors. So we are, we are praying for that. We are praying that life will be protected in Stockton. We are praying that this will become um, widely known, that how many abortion clinics there are, how many children are being lost, and that we as a church will be united and not silent over the lives lost and protecting those lives. The Pregnancy Help Center has been humbled and blessed to work with this religious community. More importantly, my home church, First Baptist, it's wonderful. Amazing things are happening every day through the ministry of the Pregnancy Help Center. But we are always in need of your prayers. It is a spiritual battle. This is a ministry that is on the front lines. And so pray for us. Pray for our protection. Pray for boldness. Pray that we would be obedient to where God is leading us. While the RV is paid for, praise God, um, as I said, we are in the midst of raising funds for the conversion. And it's amazing. I shouldn't be um, blown away by God's provision, but I continually am. And not just that, but by the generosity of his people. Churches are, are pledging. First Baptist has helped us in purchasing this RV. Um, we have had a, um, a gentleman who would like to remain anonymous who has said, you know what, I believe in this project so much, I'd be willing to match dollar-for-dollar dollar donations up to $25,000 to see this happen. It's just amazing. God is doing amazing, wonderful things through this city. It's a through this um, ministry in this city. And it's a time of preparation. And we are about to go out and to serve the next level of ministry with effectiveness. I came on board to lead the Pregnancy Help Center in mid-November. 
And in that short time, I have been amazed by the exciting ministry that's taken place. I've been amazed by the unity and the forward momentum that we are experiencing. And you've been able to hear a little bit about that with the mobile unit. But God is indeed preparing the center for big things in this city. And it is an honor and a privilege to partner with First Baptist. So church, may we remember, may we pray for restoration, and may we respond. If the Pregnancy Help Center can help you or anyone in your family, or if you would like to help the Pregnancy Help Center, our doors and our hearts are wide open. Thank you for having me today and being my church family. God bless you. I'll let you take that down there. I'm wanting Nikki to stay here for just a second because um, we are her church family and uh, we want to commission her. We want to pray for her. We want to bless her with what she is going to be doing here in the next few months, years. Um, We pray that uh, she's an effective and powerful leader at the Pregnancy Help Center. So why don't you join me in prayer, okay? Let's pray. God, I do thank you so much for Nikki and for the calling that you have on her life right now. The calling on her life to save lives. The calling on her life to make a difference in this community. The calling on her life to stand up and say, we value God. We value you. We value lives that you have formed. Even in the mother's womb, we call that life. And we know, we know, Lord, that you are fearfully, wonderfully making these children that you have allowed to be born or allowed to be conceived within a mother's womb. And then we pray we'll be born. And so I pray for unity among their staff. I pray for unity among their board of directors. I pray for unity unity as Nikki works together with uh, bringing this vision here. I, I thank you so much for the mobile medical unit that is taking place and is coming about. And Lord, for the future ministry, the exciting ministry that's going to take place with that. God, we know that there is so much they can be doing, and we also know that they need partnerships. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be a church that would be praying specifically for Nikki Lowry by name every day for the frontline ministry that she will be on. Lord, I pray that we will be a church that We'll be praying for the Pregnancy Help Center as they go out into the darkness of this community and preach the goodness of God, life-giving God that you are. And Lord, I pray that you would go before them. And so, Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have now to partner with Nikki and with the Pregnancy Help Center. I pray that we would be a church that would um, lift her up, lift them up financially, prayer support, being involved personally with our own blood, sweat, and tears. And Lord, we thank you for what you are going to do in and through her. We love you. We thank you. May your hand of provision and protection be upon her. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 I want you to say thank you to Nikki again for what she is doing here. I encourage you to read the uh, flyer that's in the bulletin as well about the sanctity of human life and some good, valuable information and resources to have there. You know, I'm just going to take a few minutes here. We're actually going to watch a video in just a second. A few minutes longer, though, this Sunday to talk about the value of all people The dignity of human life, um, because I view it as not being a political issue. And you might hear it get cast over into that very often. Oh, that's politics. Don't talk about that type of thing. No, it is not a political issue. It is a worldview that we have. Do we value life? Do we value what God says about people and about all people? It's the understanding that all humans are created in the image of God, and we are very unique because of that. So what I want you to do is watch this video that I think will just enlighten us as to how much God has set life up and for our value and wanting us to value human life. So let's go ahead and watch that.
God created mankind in his own image. He created them male and female in the image of God. Like a set of new glasses that helps us see the world with greater clarity, seeing people through God's eyes changes how we respond to them. From the formation of a child's first tiny cell to life's final breath, all life has dignity and value. Because each and every one of us is made in the image of God. And that is why. When we talk about being pro-life, it's not just about a political issue. It's a worldview. It's a life view. It's a way of looking at each human life that transcends culture, class, race, age, and opinion, knowing that we are all uniquely created in the image of God. The sanctity of human life is deeply rooted in Scripture and modeled through the life of Jesus Christ who said, Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. When we begin to see others as God sees them, we're moved to care more deeply about those created in His image, and we will live each day in a way that honors our Creator. We won't see the Scriptures as mere words, but as commands to express His heart through our actions. Commands like speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And ensure justice for those being crushed. Or love your neighbor as yourself. The sanctity of human life speaks to ancient questions that span all of time and every culture. Questions like, who is God? Who am I? Who is my neighbor? Jesus responded to those questions with the story of the Good Samaritan who saw another man who was broken and bleeding. And instead of looking the other way as others had, he stopped and cared for that man, even at great cost to himself. Jesus said, go and do likewise. Don't be silent in the face of injustice, but be a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves. Let us shine a light on practices that distort human dignity. Like human trafficking and the cycle of poverty that limits God-given potential and dreams. Make sacrifices to meet the needs of those dying preventable deaths because they lack food, medicine, and clean water. Embrace those with special needs as a special reflection of the image of our Creator God. Let us see people as God sees them. Seeing their needs and having mercy on them because every person is made in the image of God. So, Reach out to orphans in distant lands or the foster child in our own backyard who is waiting, hoping, and praying for a family to call their own. May we not pass judgment on the woman facing an unexpected pregnancy, but surround her with support, helping her to see the child growing within her as a unique person with a life as valuable as her own. Let us care for the widow in distress and loneliness. And let us befriend those in prison. Let us rejoice in the image of God as expressed through various skin colors and ethnic traditions. Refusing to tolerate racist attitudes that mock the one that created us. Let us choose to see those who disagree with us as God sees them, treating them with respect and dignity while helping them to open their eyes to see the beauty and value of life. That is what it means to be pro-life. This is why we need to be a voice.
There's obviously a lot to say on the value of people and the dignity of human life. The video brought up a lot of great points where our 2014 culture and society may not value people as God values people. And so it brings up the questions for us. Are we a voice for the orphaned and the unwanted children in this society? Do we value those with special needs? Do we look out for the widow or for those in prison? How do we help those in human bondage or self-sex trafficking? Do we try to break the cycle of poverty and help those who lack food, water, clothing in this country or maybe in another country or who may have special medical needs? Have we just kind of left the abortion issue to someone else and said, I don't become involved in politics, that's a political thing? Or have we looked at it and said, no, it's a God thing, it's a worldview of how we view people as God views people? See, at the core of each of those issues that I've just mentioned is your heart for the value of people. The value of all people and seeing them as God sees them. That's where the true issue comes in. Do we view people as God views people? If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27. I'm not going to be reading a lot from Scripture. I have some Scriptures in the outline that we're going to be looking at here today. But the Bible is the one that establishes the sanctity of human life, saying that human life is sacred. We see in the book of Genesis, Genesis 1.27, where it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what he did is he created them in his likeness, and that means that we bear the image of God. We are able to have a relationship with God. We are very unique in that. That is something different than the animals, something different than the plants, something different than the planets and the constellation and the stars that give him praise. But we as humans give God praise. We have a relationship with him like none other, which can really be a bit of a mystery because we can't see it and feel it and touch it necessarily that tangible sense of how we are created that way. But we are significant. We are created with worth at its highest level. In fact, Scripture says in one, uh, Psalm 139 that we are fearfully and we are wonderfully made. And so what does that mean? How does that translate over? Here's what it means. It means that contrary to the cultural message that you might hear, that our value isn't determined by our ethnicity, It's not determined by our race. It's not determined by our gender. It's not determined by our age. It's not determined by our ability. It's not determined by our area that we live or the country that we we live in. But it's our divine membership in the human family that gives us that value. And so whether it be men, whether it be women, whether it be children, or whether it be the unborn child, we should respect everyone, regardless of their mental capabilities, regardless of their physical ability, regardless of their social position. Humans are made in the image of God, every one of them. That makes us distinct. That sets us apart. We're to value all human beings. That's why we speak out against euthanasia or mercy killing. 
That's why we speak up for the orphan. That's why we advocate the uh, dignity of human life and helping to break the poverty and the cycle of poverty that is a part of life itself. That's why we value a child in the womb of its mother. It's because all people matter to God. So the question today really comes to, do all people matter to you? as all people matter to God. That, that's really where the question comes to. Do all people matter to you as they matter to God? In fact, on your outline, maybe you can take that out. We're going to fill that out very quickly. I want to give you a few points. A few points, a few take-homes that you can put into place if perhaps your understanding and your idea of this subject is not the same as the biblical one. And so let me just share a few thoughts with you about what the Bible says about life and the value of life and how God values all people. And that is, first of all, this, is that we need to recognize the value of our lives. Recognize the value of the life that God has given to you. It says there in Psalm 103, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people. We share a very unique relationship with God. That is why this issue of creation versus evolution is so huge. Because if you can just get cast into a sense of, well, you just evolved out of an amoeba, you evolved into an animal, and that became you, which, by the way, is the kind of the theory of from the goo to the zoo to you is what that is, right? If that can get cast into your mind, if that can get taught to you, then we don't have value, then we don't have worth, then you're just an accident is really what that's saying. But God's saying you're not a throwaway. Not by any means. No one who I created is a throwaway. Understand and recognize the value of your life. Secondly, view others as God views them. View others as God views them. And of course we know that God sent his only son into this world to die for our sins that none should perish but have everlasting life. Do we view others even remotely close to that importance? View others as God views them. And then third on the outline is to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. You see that verse out of Proverbs 31.8, speak up for people who cannot speak for themselves, protect the rights of all who are helpless. That's why, let me just bring this to reality here, that's why we as a church bring in his little feet like we did two weeks ago. Because we, we value and we want that to be put before us, the plight of the orphan and supporting some of those children who many of you stepped up and say, hey, I'll sponsor a child, I'll sponsor a child, I will help them. Mikey Hahn called me this last week and said, thank you, church, thank you, thank you. You have helped bring some of those children out of poverty and knowing and learning that God values them and they will be taught that. That's why we as a church this year are sending two teams to Haiti Two teams that have never been into the country of Haiti. One of them is a medical mission trip that my wife is able to lead, taking eight nurses and doctors and pharmacy reps to go there and make a difference in Haiti. In the same month, we have another team going. Pastor J.C. talked about that last week, who are going there to dig wells, drill wells, so that they might have water. That clean water breaks the cycle of poverty 
Then you as a church have already stepped back up, and there's another whole uh, trip going into Honduras, which already 16 people have expressed interest in saying, yes, we want to be on that team. Only 12 can go. 16 have said yes. We hope that that team will be fully prepared and ready to go in September. That's why we send out trips to Costa Rica to work with Lillian Salt at the medical clinic that she has there and bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also bringing health and vitality into that type of a community. That's why you as a church, we support the Stockton Homeless Shelter, we support the Family Shelter, we support the Gospel Rescue Mission for people who have come to a hard time in their lives, but still giving them dignity of life, still saying you are valuable to God. That's why you as a church have many people who wake up early on Saturday mornings and be a part of the Breakfast Club who goes out and serves the community. That's why you'll even see in your bulletin, there's another article there to say, hey, on Saturday afternoons, 11 o'clock, if you'd like to come down and make some sandwiches. We have another team that goes out and feeds people with those kind of sandwiches. That's why we do those things. There are so many more that you as a church do as well. And we simply say, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving. That allows us to be involved in those agencies for giving and many people yourself stepping up and saying I will run that ministry I will make it happen that's why you as a church and we as a church support the pregnancy help center because God values life God values all people even when society says they're throwaways we value them This hit home to some of us on staff or some of us who've been around here for a long time when you've heard the story of Stan and Valerie Baker. If some of you don't know Stan and Valerie, their parents attend here. Valerie was raised here at First Baptist Church. She and Stan Smith met, dated for a number of years, and then later married. They moved to the East Coast a number of years ago for Stan to get into medical school. Um, They now are serving um, um, in a medical clinic, or uh, Stan is serving as a doctor at a hospital um, up in Oregon as they've moved back from the East Coast. But let me tell you some of their story. They tried to get pregnant for seven years. Did not happen. Finally, through in vitro, Valerie became pregnant. And I asked her to share a little bit of her story with me, and so she wrote it out for me. Let me share part of it. Three months into the pregnancy, uh, there were signs of abnormalities in the pregnancy. Ultrasounds would reveal that there were two major issues with the child growing inside of Valerie. One was a, a bladder issue, and the other was that it did not look like the child had any arms or fingers as it was grown within the womb. The doctor didn't know what kind of life this child would have, And she advised Stan and Valerie, actually asked the question to them, do you want to terminate this pregnancy? Everyone would understand if you want to. Well, Valerie took a step back and was shocked at first, but said, if everyone in the world would understand, Stan and I wouldn't. That's not what we want to do. Over the next few weeks and months, they continued to get phone calls asking if they wanted to terminate this pregnancy, if they wanted to terminate this pregnancy. Finally, Valerie stood up and said, please stop calling me. We will not abort the child that is growing inside of my womb. Stan and Valerie was not easy for them as they went through the pregnancy. Valerie said, we received grim news from the doctors after we went to the office. We, we uh, viewed, they viewed the... Um, 
the baby inside the womb with the sonogram, they could not tell what limbs were growing and which one. They, they advised us the baby could be disfigured, the baby could be born and die very quickly. Um, if he survived at all, he wouldn't have much function over his life. Through the entire pregnancy, though, Valerie says, we never stopped praying. Grayson was born at 32 weeks, and here is, is a picture of Grayson. Weighing in at 4.3 pounds, 17 and a half inches long. He was born with only two fingers on his right hand and only one finger on his left. And his arms do not extend very far. But here's what Stan and Valerie say. Valerie says, I'm not going to lie. There are days that are harder than others. But it makes us stronger, creative, excited about the little things and thankful for things that others might not be excited about. Now at two years old, Grayson is functioning at almost a third grade level in speech, gross, and fine motor skills. He's capable of doing everything a child his age is able to do. He just does it differently, Valerie would say. He accomplishes so much so quickly and rarely becomes frustrated. His therapist at times has a hard time keeping up with him. His smile and his laugh captivate everyone in the room. He's full of life. He's full of energy. He loves music. He loves dancing. He is very intelligent. He has such a kind heart. Stan and Valerie say, we could not imagine our lives without our child, Grayson. In fact, this last week, Stan and Valerie were in town. And I got to go down and talk to Grayson. I, I've, I've met him a few different times, but now here he is, this little two-year-old who loves to do everything you do. In the gymnasium, we were kicking a ball back and forth. He was taking a car, and he was sliding it across the room. I wondered how he was going to pick up that car. He got way down low because his arms really extend this way, and he just has a little finger, two fingers here and one here. But he can do anything you can do. In fact, he can do way more than I could do. I couldn't get down there and pick up that car like he did. He's a miracle of God. He's a miracle that Stan and Valerie say we can't imagine our life without him. Unfortunately, the easy access to abortion, though, has terminated many lives just like Grayson's that God is wanting to form and live in our society. Nikki told you the stats. Since 1973, 54 million babies have been aborted. And do you know what's interesting? I, I, I knew this a while back, but I had forgotten this. Let me share with you a little bit about the sanctity of life case that we, or the sanctity of life that we now get to celebrate because how it ties into that Roe versus Wade case back in January 22nd, 1973. The woman who won that landmark case to legalize abortion, who made her argument before the Supreme Court in that Roe versus Wade case was a woman named Norma McCorvey. Here is a picture of her back in that time. She went by the fictitious name of Jane Roe. And in the 1970s, she said that she was a confused 21-year-old with one child now facing another unplanned pregnancy. And so she fought to obtain a legal abortion, and she won the case, which obviously has changed the face of our country even today. But that's not where the story ends. This was Norma McCorvey back in 1973. Today, Norma McCorvey has found a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And she calls herself a born-again Christian. 
But that's not where the story ends either. Today, she has dedicated her life to overturning Roe versus Wade and trying to outlaw legalized abortion. Now, you won't hear that message from society, will you? You don't hear that part of the story, that she is someone who says, you know what, I was a very confused person. That's what I thought decided was the best choice at that time, I realize now the gravity of my decisions and I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life to honoring God with life and to sharing that message that life matters, that all people, all people matter to God. Here's the grim realities. If the statistics are right, then... um, Many women have had abortions since 1973. And the statistics will say many of those women are now in churches as well. In fact, today, as I speak before over 1,000 people, there will literally be hundreds of women, if, if the stats are correct, who would have had abortions, who would be hearing my voice talk here today. And the statistics also show the um, mental and psychological scars that come upon them that don't just easily go away. In fact, it applies to the men in those situations too who went along with the abortions as well. But here's the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives us a second chance. The gospel of Jesus Christ says that you can be forgiven. Amen? Amen. That's how Norma McCorvey goes forth now. That's how she goes forward, using what Satan intended for evil, that she now wants to intend for God's glory. That's what she wants to go forth and share. The gospel message is that Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for our sins, to pay for sins past, present, and future, and now he no longer holds those sins against us. That's what God's scripture says. That's the value of life, that we don't have to be bound, that we don't have to be in bondage to the past decisions and stand and sins that we have made, but we can be forgiven. That's what you need to hear. And if you are one of those women here today, if you are one of those men who went along with a decision today, do not walk out of here feeling guilty. Do not walk out of here feeling heavy burden. In fact, a lot of churches will shy away from this issue. A lot of churches will say the whole abortion issue is very heavy. It's very guilt-laden. What I want to do with it, though, is point to Jesus. I want to point to the cross and say that's why Jesus went to the cross, for some of the dumb decisions that we have made, some of the decisions we thought were the right ones at the time. For all of our sins, Jesus went to the cross. That is good news. That is good news, church. Amen? Amen, that is good, church. That's why we value God. That's why we value the life he has given to us. That's why I encourage you today to take some steps in this, is to value life, is to value life from the womb to the cradle to children to teenage years to to adult years to the elderly. We value all of life that God created each person. They have value in God's eyes. They should have value in ours because Scripture says they are fearfully and wonderfully made and we are fearfully and wonderfully. We continue to be made and we continue to live our lives throughout. I encourage you, value life. I also encourage you, choose life. Choose life in all situations. Choose life. Pray that people will choose life. If you perhaps are hearing my voice today, or you have a daughter or a granddaughter, instill that value in them. That there may be accidental parenting, as we may term it. There may be accidental parents, but there are no accidental babies. God has intended every baby. He has a plan for children. He has a plan for what may be happening in life. We may think that's an accident. It is not. God's in charge. God is sovereign.
And so I encourage you, value life, choose life. I also encourage you to change lives. And that would be to partner with an agency such as Pregnancy Help Center. That would be to look and say, what do I do to make a difference in my community? What do I do to make a difference in this area? Perhaps it's even stepping out with a single parent and being a support or encouragement to them. Perhaps it's even adopting a child at some point in some time or praying for adoption to come through for other people as well. And the last thing I want to encourage you, church, is to thank God for your life. And to value your life, what God has given to you. And when you have value in the life and you understand that and you know that, that allows us to view others in that way. And so let me just end that question. Do you value people as God values people? Do you value people at every stage of life? Conception to natural death. Because that's what God would want us to do. He'd want us to be a church that speaks up for those who can't speak for themselves. He'd want us to be a church that values and loves and cares. He'd want us to be a church, wants us to be a church that knows that the good news of Jesus forgives any sin we may have done and has a wonderful, awesome plan for working things out in our lives as well. God values all people. God values all lives. I pray you do as well.